Welcome to the Cashflow Project Podcast. Are you looking to better your financial situation by increasing your cash flow? Too busy to hunt for real estate deals or don't know where to start? Then you're in the right spot. Join us as we dive in and talk about investing for cash flow using multifamily real estate. Welcome to the Cashflow Project Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fierros with Tri-City Equity Group. Today, super excited. I've got Nick D'Angelo on the show. So Nick is the CEO and founder of Sane Investment Group. He leads a veteran team acquiring institutional-grade real estate assets nationwide. They've got a 20-plus state portfolio, 24 projects, and over 500 loans, which all showcase their strategy-driven process. They're on track at, over at Saint to raise over $100 million a year. They're here to share his journey with us. Nick, welcome to the show. Steve, much appreciated. Oh, thanks for the intro and uh, excited to talk with you and, and to add some value to your audience today. No, I'm, I'm super stoked to have you on the show. And I know I always feel like, gosh, there's no, no matter how much I say it, spend time on the intro. It's like, I know this doesn't do everything uh, justice, right? So there's so much more to everybody's unique story and, and their background. So for those of our audience who are not familiar with you, fill us in a little bit about your background. Did you, did you grow up always with, into a family with a silver spoon and raising hundred million dollars a year or how, how did you get your start in, <laughs> yeah. in the investing space? For better or for worse, yeah, that's, that wasn't my story. My family is, has a background of being immigrants from Italy, big Italian family. So I got, I don't know, we just do, we're doing the math the other day. I think I have somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 cousins. So very busy family that I love very dearly and just an immigrant work ethic, the core. And so multi-generational in that regard, the respect from one generation to the other and support and if information and mindset is it's there. So that's what I, something I'm so, so, so blessed to brag about really is a multi-generational entrepreneurial mindset. So that said, that was my background growing up. It was around that immigrant family on both sides, Eastern European on, on the other side. So there was always a culture of work. Growing up, I started working very early. I was a mason. I built walls and broke my back all day and got sunburned. So uh, I did that for four or five years. And really the career took off because I was working at a bank. And I was like, man, that, that thing's really tough. That whole outdoor labor thing. I'm, I'm killing myself every day. My hands are bleeding. Let's get a cushy job. Let's try one of those office jobs I keep hearing about. So I worked for a bank and I saw... It was an investment. It was kind of like a more investment model with business oriented. So I just saw successful people coming in and out every day. And I had a crappy off the rack suit at the time of all I could afford. And, but I've seen individuals, guys and girls that were just like so successful. And I, I got to see what their businesses were. Mm -hmm. So I was 16 at the time, 17 at the time. And I could already start connecting dots of like, this crowd does this, this crowd does that. I see the balances of their accounts. So I can draw direct dollars and cents connections and between a more entrepreneurial side for my family and family selling businesses and started to go into real estate and having early successes there, me being on the banking side and being able to draw a lot of connections between the two of like real estate's worth that 100% from an early age. I knew that's what I wanted to be gravitating towards. So that's kind of the roots and the foundation. I can keep going and kind of walk you through kind of the more interim and where we got to today, but that's the foundation you kind of alluded to of the earliest, earliest mindset stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's huge. And there's a few different things I'd like to unpack here. And for one, I've heard there's a book out there called The Immigrant Edge, right? My wife's an immigrant. My family came over a couple of generations ago. 
But I always feel like, man, how much did that lend into, for one, like the entrepreneur spirit, but also too, like an appreciation, right? I, I grew up here, so I think it's easy for me to kind of take for granted. And I've seen this time and time again. I'm sure you probably have observed that too. I feel like a lot of times, like too many of us that have grown up here, we take for granted the opportunities available. But we're too willing to settle kind of for, well, you know what, I'll do just like how you said, right? Well, let me just go get a regular job, just working a nine to five, because that's supposed to be the American dream, right? Not realizing it's, it can, you can end up with golden handcuffs or that there's such a low ceiling for opportunities like that. Not saying you can't find satisfaction in a job like that, but there's so many opportunities out there. And that's something I've seen time and time again from people that are coming from, let's say these outside countries, outside places to, to the U.S., that and really be able to to kind of put some put some energy behind creating something special, right? So I, I think that's huge. And then too, like the risk taking component, I feel like, gosh, from what I've observed, again, my wife is a, an immigrant as well, so it's like, gosh, if you're willing to take the risk of uprooting what you know, everything that you know, your comfort zone, whatever pro prospects that you had behind in your country, wherever you came from. To be able to risk, I mean, you're really taking a leap of faith to go to this unknown variable or unknown environment. And gosh, I don't know how this is going to play out, but I'm willing to kind of take that chance. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a huge mindset guy. So for me, I just kind of have to, you know, dive in. It's like, gosh, how much does that factor in to your success at this point and to you being an entrepreneur and will it be willing to step out? Like how much did that factor in? Yeah. So. I love all that. I wrote that book down, by the way. I made a quick note of The Immigrant Edge. That sounds great. I'm a huge, huge book dork, and I'm always trying to make sure that the mindset's there for everything. So I'm, I'm born and raised in the U.S., right? But immigrant mentality and the immigrant work ethic is something that was passed down. And so that's it. And let me define that, right? Because it can be kind of nebulous or ambiguous. It's that you as the next generation must honor the previous generation's struggles by beating and not beating them in a, in a malicious way where you want them to do worse than you by stepping in up with the, with the responsibility of what they've laid the foundation for so you can go above that. And so in my family, there was no discussion of if that was an option. That was fully expected. That was the route ahead, right? So you hop in as early as you can. You start work early. You learn skills that you wouldn't get anywhere else. And so as things progressed... And I saw, hey, real estate is the future for me. I'm 100% confident of that. There's going to be an entrepreneur component. Built and sold companies along the way. We're very blessed to have that success and reinvest in real estate. The real start was actually at the worst possible moment in the real estate market imaginable. So I had gotten an early start. I begged, pleaded, and bartered my way into work for free for a company, for a family office that was very strategic, multi-generations. And my head was just exploding with all this information and knowledge that I was getting from them, which is kind of the progression from there. And then the best thing happened at the worst, the best and worst thing happened at the best and worst time. And that was the 2008 financial crisis. And for those that didn't go through it, it was the sky was falling, right? You had hundred year plus companies failing. You had the largest banks in the U.S. barely holding on for dear life. You had the government coming in paying bills on behalf of banks that otherwise would be filling with huge question marks of what happens to money, investments. And really, with the U.S. at the top of the heat globally, there were serious global concerns for the global financial market, right? So at that time, what we did was, I was working again for this family office, had a lot of experience, just kind of pulled together from that. And I was like, look, 
this is a scary time, but there's more opportunity right now in the wake of the 2008 crisis than we would see for as long as I could possibly imagine. There were things selling left and right for below replacement cost. You couldn't even build it, build it for the pricing. So we raised a lot of money. We started buying distressed assets, closures at that time. And we ramped that up to about $10 million a week at the peak. We were buying $10 million a week in cash, cashier's checks, jammed it in a pocket, bidding at the courthouse steps, buying deals left and right. We went towards commercial because commercial had more zeros. That's really it. If we had to deploy cash, you had big money groups, houses were great. And there's a whole discussion there of the strategy behind that. I still think single family, even today in the U.S., is one of the most fortress-like investments you can make. But at that time, there weren't enough zeros when you're dealing with big money. So ramped that up significantly. I'm glad I started on the acquisition side. We still have advanced systems on that that I'm really proud of. Eventually, we woke up with too many assets. Our investors were overwhelmed. Just, hey, leasing's a nightmare. We can't manage this piece. Property managers are falling. So things are crawling through the cracks. And they said, Nick, why don't you get involved? Why don't you expand and build a team around managing all this crap we just bought? So Saint then went from acquisitions to asset management. Now we're doing both. So then that, pro- that progression was great. We built out systems and teams and structure. And then we transitioned to kind of the phase we're at today is having all three components 2013, no, 2015, we went full steam ahead, same stepping forward, raising money from out, from, from investors outside of our network and ramping up to today. We just passed 206 million in under management. So long road, very exciting, lots of busy years, but that's kind of the, uh, what takes us from then to now. Yeah, no. And like I said, there's so much there along the way. And obviously we're not, there's no way we could ever even just, like I said, do justice to your story or really any of our guest story, like in the brief time that we have, but there's just so many things, you know, that, that I kind of want to unpack there. Like for one, one thing that I've seen kind of along as you're sharing there is like your observational skill. Like, so this started a long time ago. Like for one, you're observing your family, like, okay, Hey, our family, what did have businesses? Okay, cool. I see that. Right. Okay, cool. I'm working at the bank. Right now I see the people coming in. I'm, I'm okay. What's, what's going on with these? Everybody's got a story. Okay, I see their bank account. So you, you kind of have a unique perspective. Hey, what do these people look like? What are they doing? Like, you, and you, you kind of get, you pull back the curtain a little bit without necessarily them knowing it. And, and you're not, and obviously not doing it with kind of ill intent or any of that kind of stuff, but it's, it's there, right? So you're, you're being observant, right? You're, 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 you've got some inside knowledge there. Hey, what works, man? What, you know, these people come in all flashy, but gosh, their bank account's pretty dry versus these people. I see what their checks are doing and like, it's a pretty sizable account there. I think they're legit. What are you doing? How can I look more into that? Obviously, got a huge head start going and working for a family office and having some experience on that side. But again, I see this where it's kind of like you're taking some observations here, and then you were able to be obviously in a great position with the GFC. I always appreciate people that have been through multiple market cycles because you have a unique perspective. I, I feel like you got a lot of new investors in the space right now that are just like, man, this this last this right now is the first time that they've ever experienced any economic trauma or like any downturn in the market. And it's like, guys, it's all cyclical. Like, like I, I was there, I was a wholesaler doing private money lending and, and, a, and wholesaling residential real estate when the GFC happened a couple of years leading up to that. So I get it. It bounces back. It's not the end of the world. Um, but, uh, that taught me, of course, there's money to be made in every market. And you guys obviously took full advantage of that. 
So kudos to you and having people there, having for one, the resources, right? Because it sounds like you guys had a ton of capital to be able to deploy to go after this stuff, but just having the wherewithal, like most people don't see the opportunity. So if you're surrounding yourself with people who are thinking that way, guess what? That's a huge leg up guys. That, that's why I, I reference back. I'm a huge mindset guy. Well, guess what? If your mindset is the sky is falling or run for the exits because dude, this whole thing's going to burn down. Well, you're not looking for opportunity, right? So, so Nick had the, had the wherewithal to be able to, well, no, I, I think there's some opportunity here. Like I, in fact, I see it. Look, look, look at this deal. man. Wow. We can get this thing pennies on the dollar. What is this thing going to be worth in 10 years, right? Or five years or 20 or however, however long. Right. So I love that about your story. Uh, and it's basically like, that's great. And then something too, you mentioned earlier, is just like talking about the legacy component. I, I've got kids now, so I, I started to think a little bit of this too, but your family impact upon your, your life was, I love the, the, even the thought of honoring the work, honoring the legacy, honoring the sacrifice, right? To me, that's, that's huge. And then obviously, of course, bring it to your modern day where you guys are now, like you have obviously gone vertical, you've seen the challenges. And I feel like a lot of this we experience in business, you, you get great at handling one aspect of the business, one facet of the business. And then you scale to a certain point where it's like, okay, man, we got other challenges here. Like we got to be able to solve problems, right? You go in from the acquisition side to, okay, well, we got to, we got to do some asset management here. Okay. Then we can raise more capital. And then you just basically went vertical. How is that factored into your, this, I guess the smoothness, right? Like, cause you said it was kind of bumpy, right? Like even just to get there, is, is that uh, made life more bearable? Like I said, but here's the good news and the bad news. We took the longest possible route to get where we're at today, but we took the right route for us, what we needed to do. So starting in acquisitions is you build chops in a different way. You have to dissect markets almost on the fly with many different things. You have to shift gears so rapidly. And we were, and at that time, we were dealing with deals day to day because this is the foreclosure market. So I would have to group checks of, let's say five to $10 million after I made a decision on the underwriting, right? So this was not a 30, 60, 90 day transaction. This was five to 10 million bucks put together in a matter of days. And that still took logistics with banks. So we started with the asset or the acquisition side and starting with the acquisition side and having to be insanely efficient, having really difficult time constraints made us have a lot of chops. The asset management side, we didn't have a playbook. I got to say, I thought I was just focusing on buying and the investors were like, look, we thought we wanted to be hands-on, super involved landlords. We want to be more like board of directors as partners. And so that was my first understanding of investor dynamics where it's like the most investors might think one thing they might want to be a little bit less involved than they think right yeah. so what we did was we restructured everything we put went back to the drawing board and gave that these are successful guys they all run businesses they have families they're decades older than me today and at the time they're still dear friends to the state they don't want to run a new business right so instead, we split the returns up, we organized how those look, and we gave them an opportunity to be more passive investors that still get to choose which deals they're in on and what deals they're maybe not right the right time for them. So now once we bolted on the acquisition side, we can really streamline that with our systems, the asset management side. We understand driving value inside and outside of the properties. So we know now the capital raising side scaling that with investors and bringing in new investors and new relationships. So that's been 
all bolting on all three parts of that from what we've done today, we just are what we just ran these numbers. So the brand new, our last seven exits, we averaged 35.5 RR, right? Because we have a recomponent, we control the value chain front to back. Right. So it's been great. Our team, kudos to them, right? I might be tip of the spear on a lot of things, but they far surpassed me on so many things and we've been able to replace whatever the early team is with just the highest level talent, which again, bringing on that level 10 talent has been insane. And then the weirdest thing happens, Steve. We have all these returns we're very proud of and we could do all that, but the market took another shift, right? right? We're dealing with inflation we haven't seen in decades. We're dealing with market dynamics that We've been putting off. The Federal Reserve had quantitative easing for way too long. We printed 40% of every U.S. dollar in a matter of about 18 months. These are things that completely tip over the apple cart and rearrange how economics is managed in the U.S. So our investor base said, look, we love your syndication, love working with you, and we want to continue. But five to 10-year hold periods are not on the docket for us. Again, we usually we usually skew an older demographic, business owner, high net worth. They ain't around for five to ten years, and you, it's hard to tell an eighty-seven-year-old that it's a good idea to have a ten-year deal, right? Right. Yeah. So, what our investment community asked us was, and which is why I love your show so much. It's like dead center what we're what we're all about. It's we need more cash flow. We need something more dependable. We need something more flexible for the environment we're in right now, because this market is not like the previous market. This is a different world. So Nick, we still like real estate. What do you have? Where can you put this together? So as much as I want to be like the smartest guy and do all that, a lot of it's just shutting up and listening to our investors and giving them what the, like they're, we're, we have good relationships. They're open with us. So they needed a flexible income fund style model. So we went to the drawing board. Our newest fund in the last handful of years has been the Saint Income Fund, which is based on U.S. mortgages. We have over 500 mortgages in residential family or residential single family homes in this, in this income fund that pays a fixed return. That's what our investors wanted. And that's been the biggest transition for Saint in the new world, kind of to answer your question more correct. Yeah, no, I mean, and again, this is a way to, one of the things that kind of the, the visualizations that I always get, it's like, look, you have to learn to pivot for one. Every market kind of presents its own unique challenge, right? And we always get, the only way that we as, as business owners, operators, entrepreneurs, we get compensated is for solving problems, solving, solving, bringing solutions to challenges to whatever the market dictates. So I always just think of a tool belt. So the more tools that you have in your tool belt, guess what? The, the more problems that you can solve. And so what you guys, sounds like you've done now, it's like, hey man, we needed to go back and we've got this problem. Okay, what tool do I need to be able to solve that for, let's say our investors. And so now you're able to bring, to bring and provide value in a different way for them. Again, maybe a little different than, the, than what they were used to, but you read what was going on in the current economy. You read what the investors needs were and developed a new product, right? So yeah, no, I love that. And being, being able to be flexible, right? Cause some people that's their downfall. Like you, you get so ingrained and so into, well, no, this is just the way that we do. Oh, no, I, I get that. And you've had success there, but gosh, the way that business is done today has changed so much. The pace of change, I feel like now is just insane. It, it's not linear, right? Anytime you're dealing with technology and what has happened less, let's say that even the last 
five years, the last 10 years, the last 20 years, the growth has not been late. It's been exponential. So being able to be flexible, to be fluid, to be able to, to, to take a step back and say, okay, you know what, what we're doing, it's, it served us well, but we're going to need to pivot a little bit here. Totally fine. Let's do it. And it sounds like it's worked to you guys for to great success. So yeah, kudos to you guys for uh, recognizing that, identifying that and making the transition, not being scared to, because a lot of people end up doing that. It's like, no, we can't do that. This is the only way that it works. We have to stick to that. Well, guess what? You, you become a you become a company that becomes irrelevant. You become Kodak or some other company that doesn't, that doesn't modernize, or you don't work with the the change with the with the economy what the market needs. Absolutely, so, absolutely. So, so I love that. Well, so what what are you guys working on currently? Like, I mean, obviously that's a that is that the the core focus now at this point. It's just like my full steam ahead with providing capital. Let's say for the single family side, is that going to be? And I do believe you're right, I, especially now in the current market, like with the way interest rates are and, and, you know, for the foreseeable future, they're going to stay kind of where they are. Is that going to be something that you guys, is that the sole project that you guys are working on? Or it's just like, Hey, we've got that, we've got our existing portfolio, like and managing that, like, obviously you guys have a lot of different things going on, a lot of irons in the fire. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good question with the environment we're in as a country, as an economy, we, so we certainly retooled. Right. And we reevaluated. This is kind of the better, this is the better word there. We looked at the landscape, a lot of smart minds, a lot of large scale thinking of the entire U.S. economy and what that looks like. And if you look at the Fed's track record all the way back to inflation is transitory, there's a lot of concern there to start off a new kind of economic era with the Fed having such a big miss. Right. But since then, the interesting thing is, Jerome Powell, to his credit, not to say he gets everything right, but he's been pretty transparent. So he says where he thinks the Fed's at. He's up front with it. They post the dot plot map, which for those that aren't aren't familiar, the Federal Reserve, the entire board, the FOMC, which Jerome Powell, the chair of, is a group of people that get together and they make decisions for where the future of the Fed's fund rate goes, which affects all of our interest rates. So they take everybody that's on this committee that decides the rates in the future of the U.S., take a map of the next quarters of the U.S., and they put dots on this dot plot to say when they think rates will raise or lower. So the transparency of the Fed has been very high. They've been very transparent. So looking at that and balancing one side, saying the Fed's not always right, but they are communicating. And then looking at the other side, how do we take the data from the market and the big minds and the big money and understand where they're betting on in the future? On our side, you know, if you wind back the clock to mid 2022, that's when inflation peaked at about 9%. Crazy. Hadn't seen that in generations, right? And so there's a serious concern on what the future of the market is. You see the Fed do the huge rate hikes and do all that. Now we're in a position of where we go from here. All the data that we're seeing, all the underlying data that we're seeing, all the demographic trends, all the income trends, all the expense trends. If you break that out, this is not a short-term discussion. Mm-hmm. This is a discussion that we're seeing for over a decade. Well, so if you want to get a little even darker in the discussion, you can look at some of the biggest names of investment. You look at like the Rick Readers, I think BlackRock. You look at the Bill Ackmans, the Howard Marks, massive names. Probably just those three alone probably have a trillion under management, right? So some of the biggest companies in the world, all three of those guys specifically 
have drilled down onto their economic bets, specifically regarding inflation. And all three are saying 10 to 20 years of inflation ahead. So let's quantify that because it's it's great and scary and it's massive, these discussions. What does that actually mean for the investors, for us, for individuals, consumers? The bet that most of them have, we've compiled on our side, the averages, what they're saying that they expect rates to be. The bet is that rates over the next 10 to you know 20 years, possibly, we're betting on 10. The next 10 years, our bet is that rates will be around the five, most likely the six range, that they'll sit around the six range for the next 10 years. So where does that place the rest of the market? There, the truth is, if you expand the map just beyond the last decade, and you look over an expanded historical view of the U.S. economy, that's completely in line with averages. That's, yeah. That is almost dead center average for the U.S. economy. So while that sucks, when we look back and we go, oh, well, remember when rates were 3%, right? Remember that 4% rate, I should have taken the 4%, right? It's, it's really might be a little painful, but the reality is this is a return to normal. Correct. So in the most recent interviews that Jerome Powell's done, they say, what's the future of rates? And he goes, we might raise the Fed fund rate from five and a quarter to five and a half. We're going meeting to meeting. So again, the transparency there. And so we're all just sitting going, well, what does that mean? Meaning that we, we just sit on our hands and we wait for you guys to make something happen or not make something happen. But the reality is we're in for a long haul. The underlying factors from everything from demographics to business to things will need to adjust accordingly. So you know this, Steve, you're squarely in the syndication space. I've done a lot of deals myself. I love that community or I love that space very much. The question is, where do we go strategically as investors? And what we see at there's only two because we're real estate guys at heart. We're not peeling off from that at all. So it's where do you go with that and why? Well, if you're going in, if you're leaning into real estate, it's the hard asset side of real estate, right? It's absolutely 100% choosing the hard assets, understanding that the horizon's a five to 10 year discussion at this point. What might have been a three year deal previously went to a five year deal. And now that might be six, seven year deal. And if you're even a longer term syndicator, it might be 10. I'm seeing decade deals right now. So that's one side. On a decade timeline of strategic stuff, I think people will kill it if they're picking the right asset classes. The flip side is the complete opposite, is going in the more flexible route for real estate, the fixed income route, where you know exactly what you're getting, the exact return you could bet on, and you can get your money out when you need it. Probably to go to a syndication later, right? When the market calms down. So we leaned into the second choice because we have been in the mortgage space for many years. We've already built a portfolio. It was a good bolt on for our audience. The first, which is the longer five to 10 year, I think is so asset uh, asset based. The good decisions and bad decisions today are based on, like you said, there's always deals, but where are they? If you're betting on office right now, I think there's some big question marks and fundamentals. And if you're betting on things that we really enjoy more, like the multifamily side and the industrial sides, I think there's huge opportunities if you buy right and strategically. Yep. No, I 100% agree. We've come to that conclusion ourselves too. And something always important to remember too, guys, pros or listeners, right? Like real estate is hyper-local. So you can't just say it's always... It's always nerve wracking whenever, or not nerve wracking, but it's always frustrating when you hear some of these pundits come on and say, oh, this guy's falling like real estate and just, it's in the tank and all this kind of stuff. It's like, well, there's no one market. So what's, what's happening broadly across just doesn't, may not apply to your specific market. 
So if you're in a market that has high growth and all the market fundamentals are there, there's still jobs, there's still population growth, then guess what? You want to be in those markets, right? And so don't be afraid to invest outside of your own backyard, but have this long-term strategy, right? Like have this long-term vision because Nick's exactly right. Hey, guess what? They pumped all of this money into the system in the last few years. That has a direct impact on what we're seeing now with inflation and whatnot. Yeah, guess what? A hedge for that is making making sure that you are in hard assets for one, because that's that's going to be your life raft effectively with the inflation. And two, stay flexible, stay nimble, right? Which is exactly what Nick is alluding to there with what what they've got going on, right? Hey, I still want to return. I definitely want to beat inflation. I've got to stay nimble to be able to hedge my bets and to take advantage of opportunities when they arise, right? So yeah, no, it's kudos to you for, for to you guys for putting together and moving forward on that strategy. So yeah, no, very good. Very good. Well, Nick, this is the point on the show where we transition to what we call our fire round. Just a little bit more straightforward, just Q and A. Is that something you're game for? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Right on. Awesome. All right. Well, first question, what is the best book that you recommend other than Rich Dad, Poor Dad? All right. So the oh, purple Bible. Love that caveat. I do love, I do love Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's a good mindset, folks. Um, I would say... The most meaningful and impactful book for me has been The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. I've reread that book multiple times. Uh, it was a book that presented itself. If I had a secret accidental superpower, it's then books fall in my lap at the perfect times, right? It's like exactly what I need, whether it's really good or really bad or whatever it is, books quiet fall in my lap at the perfect times. And that book changed my mindset so many times at key moments where you think everything's one way and reading that book, it gives you some grit, some focus and re some recalibration in a big way. Yeah, that's good. All right. Next question. What would you consider your superpower is besides the book finding? Oh. <laughs> the lucky one. That's the one. That I would say as much as I'd like to say like a leadership or this, or I'm such a, it's resourcefulness. I got to tell you that at the end of the day, the, the thing that I'm most proud of is figuring out things at depth and at scale and not that I'm the best executor at every single thing. We have way better people on the same team. Not even that I'm the best strategy, strategist of every department. We have really, really smart, high level people. It's being resourceful and then being able to put those resources together. So yeah. it's integrating marketing with sales, with ops, with asset management, with capital raising. So that's a skill set that it's taken me a long time to put together, but being resourceful by far is the thing I'm best at. No, and, and that, that is a legit superpower. Like I said, too many people are, and this is what I love about kind of when you get higher level, like in terms of real estate or business, it, you have to come to understand, like it is a total team sport. If you want to be run solo, sure. You can be, maybe be a little bit more nimble and maybe do things a little faster, but you will hit a brick wall. You can't scale that way. You have to have to learn to be a team player. And obviously that's, that's what Nick has done to incorporate into his team and you want to bring on those level 10 players, right? Like what, even if that means laying down your pride and saying, I'm not the level 10 in that specific area, totally okay. In fact, that's going to be better for the company. That's better for our investors. That's better for all the rest of the team members. And that's a huge, huge thing. So kudos to you on that one. All right. Next question. What is the biggest lesson that you've learned over your career thus far? I, that is, that's a killer question. I would say that these two answers are one and the same. I'd say it's understanding time horizons, right? Mm -hmm. Start things earlier than you think strategically and, and in the right way and, and make sure you have done your diligence and all that. 
but start confidently and start moving forward. But think of things on the longer the horizon, the more success you can have with something. And that's investing as well, right? So it's not taking the big losses, avoiding the riskiest opportunities that put you at a disproportional risk and focus on returns over time, consistent returns over time. I mean, that's Warren Buffett. That's why nobody knew who he was till he was in like his 60s. But now he's worth, I don't know, 100 billion or whatever it is. So it's thinking long-term about life and strategy and investing. Yeah. Um, and that totally factors into like, let's say DCAing, right? Like dollar cost averaging, right? It's like, look, yeah. you just let, let compound interest work for you. Get, just get going, get started early. You don't have to hit a home run, man. If you hit singles and doubles consistently, you're going to have a successful career. And so don't, don't too many people get, I think, caught up in that kind of lottery mindset, right? Where it's like, all right, this just has to be the golden ticket. Well, guess what? You know what? You'll enjoy a much more stable life if you're, you're just shooting for the consistency, right? Like just get started, just get going. Absolutely. All right. Uh, next question for the busy working professional who's trying to work towards financial freedom. What advice would you have for them? I'll give good advice and bad advice. But the sad advice is that the reality is sometimes you're working, you're double working, you're doing a double, triple shift. And I've had lots of phases in my life that I could give you cutesy stuff, but I want to give you it from the heart. And the honest to God truth is that your life is never going to be in balance. It's about rebalancing constantly. And so there's, there's seasons where it's 16, 18 hour days. We had, we had seasons where I was sleeping two, three hours a night. And then there's seasons where you need to rest and recuperate and do that. And then the other side on balancing it, I'd say master your schedule, be a freak about your schedule. I'm naturally more drive forward at a faster pace and, and organize less. And because I've spent extra time on organizing and I have an assistant and, and things that help me stay organized the way that I need, I can get three times as much done just because each thing is where it needs to be so that I can be most effective. So between those two things, it is what it is. But if you want the most out of life, that's the best thing I found is being organized on that side and, and being okay, double shifting, triple shifting it. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, I think it's unavoidable, especially for anybody that's wanting to step out into the, the business world, into the entrepreneur space. I mean, you're just going to have to, I, I mean, you need a plane to get off of the ground requires so much more energy, so much more fuel. The vast majority of the fuel is burned just getting off the ground. And then you will hit the cruising altitude, the cruising speed, and you become more efficient. But yeah, no, and it's a great, that's a great, great answer. Great advice. Well, Nick, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. If our audience wants to reach out and they want to find more about you guys, what you've got, what Saints got going on, what you've got going on, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you or the team? reach out and, and see what's going on. Absolutely. So we actually, we, this is really fun, Steve. First off, I had a blast. We touched on all these different things that are really deep topics that are expansive discussions on all kinds of strategies and investing and economics. We actually do expanded webinars, 90 minute plus two hour webinars on some of them on big topics that benefit investors directly how they can invest in different things or in different assets, in different strategies, in different markets. So we have really a ton of webinars at saintinvestment.com slash resources. They're all free. We don't charge anything. It's literally just us educating the investor community as best we can. So that's probably the best place for them to check out. And then, yeah, I had a, I had a blast with you, man. Really good discussions today. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you coming on. Obviously, bring a ton of value, a ton of experience. We didn't even get to talk about Priuses on the show, man. Oh. Nick and I had a, some brief conversation, and we both have Priuses. 
can't sell it. Amazing cars for those of our listeners. Buy a Prius, take the capital that you would have spent buying whatever else and invest it and invest or invest it in yourself. To the listeners, thank you so much for coming on today. Nick, thanks so much. It was such a pleasure having you on the show. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and share some wisdom and share some of your experience with us and our listeners. So thanks so much. Let's stay in touch. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate you. All right. Aloha. A great show with Nick D'Angelo with Saint Investments. Make sure you go check out Nick over at their website. If you want to check out one of the webinars that he was making mention of, again, their goal is to go ahead and provide as much information as possible to the investors. We're able to provide value. Again, I, he's got a ton of experience. So in multiple facets of, let's say, real estate in business. And so great, great, great mind to be able to, to kind of pick his brain on and kind of give him the shared experience. It's always, a, it's always. We can never do enough. We could spend hours, right? Recording a podcast, recording a show and continue to, to still unearth gems and continue to mine each of our guests for experience and nuggets of wisdom. But yeah, he had some great ones. Of course, I love the idea of, he made mention of, obviously he's coming from a, an immigrant background with his family, but being able to honor the work that they put in, honor the legacy. I think about that a lot, especially being a parent. I think about my kids and that's huge to think about the sacrifice maybe that your family has made or your parents have made to be able to give us a leg up. I don't think we appreciate that enough nowadays. And so that's, that's a great kind of mindset to have, Hey, I want to honor the work that they put in to be able to get us to this point. So I thought that was huge. Obviously being observational, being able to, to be observant of whatever you have going on in your surroundings. Right. And I've come to experiences on my, in my own career. But, you know, Nick picked up on it early on to say, okay, well, hey, look, I'm working in the bank, right? Okay, well, sure, whatever. I'm just pushing paper and, and working on the bank. But is there something I can take away here more, right? And so that was something he was able to see with the clients coming in. Okay, well, what do their bank accounts do? What do they do, right? Do, the ones that are being successful, I can see that they're, there's kind of a common thread here. Oh, they're in real estate. Oh, okay. You know, maybe I should look into real estate. And then obviously that led him down the path of exploring different options in real estate and got him to where he's at today with huge success. I love that. Uh, obviously they went vertical with their company. So that's another huge thing too. Uh, finding problems and be able to solve them. Sometimes it's just solving them internally, right? That's, a, that's finding a way to grow. And also too, like relinquishing control. A lot of entrepreneurs are very headstrong, you know, alpha, alphas in the room, A-type personalities. And sometimes it's hard to relinquish some control to somebody else that may have more experience, more knowledge in a certain area, right? And so very powerful to be able to do that. And that is a, I think he mentioned something along the lines of that as being like a superpower. And I think it's absolutely true. Being able to take a step back and say, mm, okay, I'm not the best in this area and that's okay. I can, I can acknowledge that. Let's find somebody who is, because that's going to be the best benefit to the company, to the growth of the company, to let's say our investors. We deal with investor capital. Well, guess what? I want high-level operators working to be able to take care of the investor capital and to really to take care of our investors at the end of the day. So I thought that was a great, that was something great that he, that he expressed. And to, to one of the things he mentioned too, is understanding time horizons, being able to kind of take a long-term vision. We get too stuck. I think a lot of times with, especially if you're watching the news or any of that kind of stuff, well, what's happening today is not going to be happening tomorrow. And so if there's a lot of volatility today, that's okay. Look a little further out. How are things going to be in 10 years? All right. So keep a, have a, it gives you perspective, right? The sky is not falling today. That's not going to, that's not going to last forever. So being able to understand that and be wise with your investing, if you just continue to invest, if you start investing, you put it out a long enough time horizon, you will win. 
That's the power of compounding interest. That's the power of starting. So if you're in your twenties listening to this, get going, get going. You got to get going. You got to start investing. If you're older and you're looking to invest, get going. You want the time working on your side, right? So to get started on that. And, and he made, he had a good comment there at the very end about life and life balance, work-life balance. And that's a big deal for a lot of people for me, but to rebalance constantly, you're never going to have like, okay, yeah, I've got it. And that's it. It's like, no, we got to reevaluate and see, okay, what's a low plank here, right? Like what we're, where can we make an adjustment? Cause there are going to be seasons of, and I read right now, it's the time to work my tail off. And then it's time to take a breather. It's a rest run type of process. We're going to run get things going and then we can rest and then we run again. So you're going to go through seasons of that, but always looking to rebalance, which I really, really like. I think that's a, that's a really good um, concept to understand. Well, guys, that's going to be it for today. Uh, if you guys are interested in investing with us, go to tricityequity.com uh, to, to book a call with somebody on our team. We'd love to connect with you. Uh, if you guys want to meet with us locally, you're here in Honolulu or you're, you're planning a visit for whatever. <laughs> Uh, make sure that you come out and check us out. We'd love to meet you in person. We hold a monthly meetup every month uh, called Honolulu Multifamily and More. Um, you can find us on meetup.com. You can learn more about us, of course, on the website, trustedagree.com. Find us on Facebook, Honolulu Multifamily and More. We'd love to be able to connect with you. Uh, for the podcast, of course, if you guys are enjoying the podcast, if you're enjoying the interviews that we're doing, we'd love a five-star review. We'd love to sh- you to share the episode. If you're not subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. And that helps us to, to be able to bring more value, provide more uh, guests to come on the show. That keeps us encouraged. That keeps me encouraged. I appreciate you guys. For those of you that I see locally, we just appreciate you guys saying hi. So don't be afraid to do it. And obviously, guys, don't forget, we do have the conference coming up next year. It's the next Hawaii Millionaire Mindset Conference. That's going to be happening July 10th through the 13th. That's going to be back here on Oahu. If you guys were there this year, it was over on the Big Island. We're going to have it back on Oahu this year out at Colina at the beautiful Four Seasons, incredible resort. You guys are going to love being out there and love all of the speakers, such a high level time and great time of, of learning out there from some incredibly high level entrepreneurs, investors, speakers. So make sure that you're, you're making plans to be out there. All right, guys. Well, that's going to be it for me today. I'm going to be signing off. Go out, take some action and be blessed. Have a great day. 